Hey, this is Robert Mitchell at High Tide in the Dreamtime. And today's episode, episode number 26, is based on an essay on my website at goingquantum.org called Micro and Meditation. Uh, today's episode is going to be about microdosing. Uh, I get asked a lot of questions about microdosing, so I'm going to make a little podcast that I can just refer people to in the future uh, so I don't have to tell the same story over and over again and get that information out there and maybe um, entertain some people as well. So microdosing became a thing a couple of years ago in the culture because Islet Waldman wrote a book called A Very Good Day and she is, was the uh, wife of a really famous author, Michael Chabon. Chabon, Chabon. I'm not exactly sure how that is pronounced, but he's written some great novels. And Wonder Boys is a great movie from one of his novels. Anyway, she had struggled with depression, and some person suggested that she microdose LSD. And she did, and she got great results, and then she wrote a book about it. She did a lot of talk shows, a lot of podcasts. Um, she told everyone that she could tell about it, so people became very curious about it. And James Fadiman, who was a psychedelic researcher, had written about it before. Um, but she was super excited about it and super excited to have a platform. Anyway, the truth is, that microdosing's been around a really long time. And in fact, Albert Hoffman, who was the man who discovered LSD, who was a chemist, brilliant chemist, lived to be 102. He thought that the real tragedy of LSD being criminalized wasn't the uh, visionary and uh, psychological use of, of LSD that was lost when it became illegal. He thought the real loss was using LSD in small doses because um, he thought that it was in totally superior to uh, amphetamine-based stimulants like Ritalin that people used for ADD and for hyperactive kids and for not being able to focus. He thought that LSD in small dosages, which were sub-perceptual, and by sub-perceptual, I mean that your nervous system, your brain, is not altered that much by using what is about a tenth of a normal dosage for psychedelic uh, dosages with both psilocybin and LSD. Um, you can do like a tenth of a dose and operate mostly all the same things that you do in your life normally. So you can drive, you can work, you can write, you can take care of children, you can operate heavy machinery. You should be able to do anything that you normally do. The, your perception's not altered. What's altered is your sense of yourself. I always say to people that there's a two to 3% opening in the aperture of themselves that they'll experience microdosing. And though that doesn't seem like very much, it is significant. And I think the optimal microdose is sort of getting that opening and not having anything psychedelic happening. 
but maybe pushing that opening a little bit so that you really notice the difference in the way that you think, in the way that you feel, and in your physical body. So, um, with microdosing, whether, whether it's LSD or, or psilocybin, it has an impact on your brain. Both of these classic indole alcohol, alkaloids, psilocybin and LSD, do something in the brain in larger doses, but it all they do the same thing in smaller doses. It's just less impactful, but the same thing happens on a smaller level, and I'll tell you what it is. So, the psychedelics, and I've spoken about this in other webs in other uh, talks. They do the same thing to your brain that uh, meditation does, and I'm not going to get into that too much. But what happens with microdosing is your amygdala, which is a walnut-sized uh, part of your brain at the base of your brain, and it's responsible for flight or fight. And it's completely overused because it was designed to keep us being eaten by saber-toothed tigers and bears. And um, it's supposed to keep you alert and it's supposed to keep you worried and it's supposed to see things off in the distance before they get close enough to eat you. But in our culture, that's no longer required, but it still gets stimulated by worry, by bad news. But, so the coronavirus would be very stimulating to everybody's amygdala because everyone, no one wants to die. It's a very archetypal, primal experience of being human. Um, and so what happens with, when the amygdala is stimulated is it kind of hijacks the rest of your brain. It creates cortisol, which is uh, preparing you to deal with stress. And it's almost like a natural amphetamine. It just gets makes you more alert. It makes you hyper. Uh, it, it it sharp it can sharpen your awareness of your environment, and it just makes you feel stimulated. It, it's hard to sleep when you have cortisol stimulation. Um, it's hard to relax. It's hard to breathe properly because you are looking out for the source of your anxiety, and. Uh, cortisol, it diminishes serotonin production. So what does microdosing do? Well, it quiets down your amygdala or amygdala. I always feel like I pronounced that wrong. And I know that there's some neuroscientists out there who are listening who are probably correcting me, but they know what I mean. And when you quiet down your amygdala, as with meditation, your consciousness moves into your prefrontal cortex. And there have been studies with people who start a meditation practice when they do brain scans with them. I can't recall if it's CAT scans or MRIs, but in eight weeks, if you take somebody who's a beginning meditator and you do a, a brain scan of them at the beginning of the eight weeks of their prefrontal cortex, and then you take it eight weeks later, you can actually see that matter is added to their prefrontal cortex. It's identifiable. 
It's been done a number of times. Um, the prefrontal cortex is where all the executive decision-making is. It's where you're making good decisions, where you're responding and not reacting, where you're using the kind of higher organizing principles of your consciousness to decide what you should do, what's right and what's wrong and what's beneficial. And also forecasting how your behavior is going to impact your environment rather than just reacting to your environment. Um, so that's where we all want to be, right? We all want to be in our prefrontal cortex. And so what microdosing does is it allows the amygdala to get quiet and allows us to function in our prefrontal cortex and to create new neuropathways in how we solve problems because we just are getting a little bit more information from parts of us that are usually excluded. That's what the two or 3% aperture opening is. So we just, we just have a sort of like a, a bigger toolbox to draw from in our environment. And people really seem to like that. They like the, the added creativity, the added lucidity that microdosing offers them. So what do people use microdosing for? That's a good question. Um, okay, so first of all, the thing about psychedelics is you cannot use them every day. Um, so there's a built-in sort of uh, circumspection in their use because you can't use the psychedelics every day because the neuroreceptors that the psychedelics bond to um, they need like a they have a refractory period that's 48 to 72 hours where they don't work again. They don't uptake the the psychedelic, whether it's psilocybin or LSD, without a rest. So most psilocybin protocols are twice a week, like on a Sunday and a Wednesday or a Saturday and a Tuesday. And what you're doing because what they've also found out with psychedelics is that there's like a lag into the next few days when you use psychedelics where your brain function is uh, affected. So what you're doing with microdosing is you're experiencing it the day that you do it, but you're also experiencing the benefits for a day, two, three after you do it. And your, your, your brain is functioning, functioning differently. Think different. Steve Jobs, Apple, LSD user. <laughs> um, Steve Jobs said that doing LSD was one of the five most um, profound experiences of his life and meaningful. And I think think different is a really kind of psychedelic statement. So that's one of the things that microdosing allows you to do. It allows you to think differently without being overwhelmed by the experience, without having your consciousness hijacked by the psychedelic state, your consciousness just gets a little altered. So what's it good for? Well, it can be good for depression, as it was in the case of Violet Waldman, because it will quiet down, like I said, the amygdala. It'll lower your cortisol levels. It'll allow, allow you to create new neuropathways which once they're created, they're there and you can use them. I kind of say to people, it's a little bit like using ways in your brain. Most of the time we're all on the 405. If, if you're a California, if you're a Los Angelino, you know what I'm talking about. 
But if you're listening to this and you're not in Los Angeles, think of the major thoroughfare freeway where you are at rush hour. And that is how, those are the paths we're usually taking out of habit. Now, uh, microdosing sort of allows you to use ways and be like, wow, instead of being on the major freeway thoroughfare at six o'clock when everybody's going home, there's all these side streets I can take that are less stressful and there's fewer cars and actually gets me home faster. But usually I just take the 405 and that's our habitual thinking is taking the major through through fare at rush hour and microdosing allows you to sort of go around that a little bit and get out of that pattern. So what's it good for? Well, it can be really good for depression. It can be good for people who are depressed and they can't get out of their thinking patterns and they can't get out of their habituated way of being and that is lowering their serotonin production. It can be good for people who wanna get off antidepressants because again, antidepressants, in my experience, the SSRI antidepressants, what they do is they treat your brain like it's a engine that's low on oil. And if they can just get your brain to produce more oil, it's gonna function better. But that is mechanistic and that's treating your brain as if it's a machine. And SSRIs don't work as often as they would like you to think that they do. So sometimes people can find that if they stop taking SSRIs, and I always feel like it's important to confer with a doctor or a psychiatrist who's put them on you or put you on them. If you stop taking the SSRIs, sometimes microdosing can kind of give you a little bit of a lift out of that space while you're coming off the SSRIs and people can find a new level um, where they're normally functioning. And you know, most uh, microdosing protocols, I'd say are about eight weeks, maybe twice a week for eight weeks. And at the end of those eight weeks, you're gonna know what they've done for you. Sometimes sooner, sometimes it's five or six weeks and people go, oh, okay, I've got this. But you can also think of it as raising the tide of a boat. You know, when the tide comes in and the boat floats up, well, the microdosing regimen, it brings the tide in and then you do it three, four days later and it keeps the tide in. But after, you know, a couple months of that, the tide's in and your boat's going to be lifted a little bit. Um, and your aperture is going to be a little bit more open. So it's also good for people who want to stop using cannabis habitually, of which there are many. You guys, I don't know if people realize this, but THC is a depressant. It's a central nervous system depressant. So if you're depressed and you take a depressant, it's like a double negative. It feels like elation. Same is true of alcohol use. People who get addicted to alcohol, they're usually depressed. In all addictions, the, fe- the fundamental uh, bottom of a, any addiction, you're going to scratch at it and you're going to find a depressed person. So when people use cannabis habitually and they can't stop doing it, sometimes microdosing helps them do it because they realize what high is. And they realize that the sensation that they're thinking with their double negation what they get from microdosing is better 
And it often makes cannabis seem unpleasant. In my experience, in seeing people use it. So there's that. Um, and it can help people with anxiety. Um, it can help people stop smoking. I've seen that as well. Is that, again, the support that they get from the... Mm, Elevated state that microdosing offers kind of makes cigarette smoking or nicotine seem less appealing. I know that sounds a little, it's hot here in Los Angeles. I'm having a popsicle. It's really good. It's, I think it's mango, um, but I know it sounds like I'm probably having a popsicle while I'm doing this, and I am. Um, so you wanna, those are the things that I think it's good for. I think it helps people get off antidepressants, it helps people with cannabis use, it helps people with smoking cigarettes. And it also can give people a little bit of a visionary pop. If that's what they're looking for, if they're looking for a new way of experiencing themselves. And I think that it's relatively safe, or you know, I think it's very safe, harmless. I think there's probably a placebo effect in it as with anything that you take, if you expect it to help you, it usually does. But I also feel like there is some sort of, you know, my ultimate uh, philosophy about psychedelics is that you're reverse engineering a little bit because I don't think that consciousness originates in your brain and there's been no proof created by any neuroscience that consciousness originates in your brain. My belief is that your brain is a receiver for uh, consciousness in physical reality. And a lot of your consciousness exists outside physical reality. And um, just like the Beatles aren't in your satellite radio in your car when they're singing All You Need Is Love, you're not in your brain. So one of the things that microdosing does is it elevates your awareness of parts of your consciousness that you're usually screening out through your conditioned egoic state and your brain responds to those new states. It gets animated by them. It gets lit up by them. And once it happens, it kind of stays lit up. It starts to create a neurogenesis, which is new brain cells. And that is also, I think, something that happens with um, uh, microdosing. So, but it's doing the totally different thing than the SSRI antidepressants are, which are just designed to create more chemicals in your brain that uh, the, whoever prescribes them imagines are missing. Whereas what microdosing does is it goes, your consciousness and your brain is receiving your consciousness. And obviously there's something it's missing that uh, is keeping you from feeling a certain way or from experiencing things a certain way or from solving your problems a certain way. Um, and if you get access to the consciousness, then your brain is going to respond to that. Um, microdosing isn't the only way to do that. I think it is similar to meditating. And I think meditating is more sort of long-term. You can do it every day. You can't do too much of it. But it requires discipline. And it's also something that will really amplify someone's microdosing experience. So there it is. That's my feeling about it. If anybody has any questions, feel 
free to get in touch with me. I think I've answered, I've said everything I wanted to say about it. Um, oh, no, there's one last thing I want to say about it. Um, besides Albert Hoffman, who microdosed into his 102nd year, um, <laughs> so I can't, I don't think it's that harmful. Uh, and he lived to be 102, and I think he had over 40 chemistry patents, was a brilliant man, a mystic, and a chemist. Francis Crick, who was the Nobel Prize winning father of modern genetics, who basically mapped out DNA. Uh, he was the first person to deduce the double helix structure of DNA. And I think it was in the early 50s. He admitted that he did it microdosing LSD, that he had used uh, smaller dosages of LSD to influence his thinking to discover the, uh, I guess, the secret of life. So I think that um, there is some utility in microdosing. I think that there is some stimulating and visionary capacities in it, although it's not that altering to your senses or one senses. And people can really harness what it provides for them. It's not for everybody, but I know people that it has worked for and who have really benefited from it. So I would say that my opinion on it is pretty positive and that um, I'm sure there's gonna be more data on the positive outcome of trials in the future. And you know, I always laugh because I know someone said that uh, Ralph Metzner, who was a teacher of mine at CIS and he was one of the three people at Harvard, along with Timothy Leary and Ram Dass, who were doing LSD and psilocybin experiments and wrote about it. His thinking was, who fucking cares what the FDA thinks? The planet's dying. So the sooner that people are able to sort of have experiences of expansive consciousness that are problem solving, the better. And I would tend to agree with this. So thanks for listening. Mm. This was a fun one. I will talk to you guys soon. Bye. Caminando por